We are in James chapter 1. We are going to review over again uh, 2, 3, and 4. We didn't really get into them in any depth, just kind of mentioned that they were there. If you were up on Facebook, I put this review up there for us, that we've heard it said before that attitude is everything. And certainly our attitude in the situation changes not only how we view it, but also how we handle the thing. This is the subject of James when he's opening to his church, which is scattered all about. No matter what they face in life, because of their faith in Jesus, the attitude they have can make or break them. And the same is true for us. Last week we saw the situation with the church, that the church at Jerusalem had been distributed around, or because of the persecution, they were driven around the kingdom of Rome. They'd gone into different different places. So the first thing that he talks to him about is the various trials that they were going through. We spent some time on what these various trials were. They could have been persecution. In some cities, there was more persecution than in others. It could have been work. They may have, they were going into cities that were no longer Jerusalem. And they may have had a hard time with the work requirements. We've talked before about the work guilds that would go on and some of the heat and things that would take place that they would have to be participant of or give up their, their trade. That would be their income. We saw that in some places they would have a heathen culture they would have to get used to. That sin was much more rampant and much more open all around than it was in Jerusalem. And then they may also just have been the things of just having left home and now you're in a different place and you miss all the things that you once had. But what they were going through was not the focus, but their attitude in the trial. And so he used the word various. Talk about it doesn't matter what you're going through. What matters is how you go through it. In verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The word here for count, in the figurative usage of this, means to deem, consider, or account. When it gets to literal, it is sometimes used as a governor, a judge, a chief. In some of the places that you'll see this in Scripture, it is used literally. In which is speaking of the governor, it is speaking of the chief, the head of that, the one who has rule. But it also is talking about those, uh, the times that we would suppose or think a thing. My brethren, count it all joy. He wants them to deem it all joy when you fall into various trials. And we're going to come back to that word count here in just a little bit. But the word fall here is the Greek word peripipto, which means to fall in with to fall into a chance encounter. It's only used three times in the New Testament. All three uses refer to a chance encounter with less than favorable results. In Luke chapter 10, verse 30, this is one of them. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, he didn't do anything in particular to cause this or to bring this about. He just was on the road from one place to another. And this was a road where they often talked about the thieves that were there. But he fell among thieves. In Acts 27, verse 41, But striking or falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the prow struck, stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So the boat here, this is the one that Paul was on that eventually became shipwrecked. They didn't have any control on it. It was going different places as the wind and the waves directed it. So when it says when striking or when falling into a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground. So this word to fall into, it is not talking about tests and trials that you have brought on yourself. Because of stupidity, for one. That would not be the thing. These are tests and trials that find us, not ones we bring on ourselves or make room for. I'll give you that again if you, a lot of words there. These are tests or trials that find us, not ones we bring on ourselves or make room for. There are tests and trials we can bring on ourselves because of things that we did. Things that we did that we knew we shouldn't have done. Things that the Holy Spirit warned us about not doing. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about tests and trials that are brought on because I fell into sin. 
or I did something that I wasn't supposed to do. These are not the things he's speaking about. He's using this word fall into in that these things happen to come upon you. No matter where you are, you didn't go to those particular cities where you are now looking for this particular test or trial. You didn't look for the persecutions. You didn't look for the job difficulties. You didn't look for the loneliness that might be there, being away from all that you that you knew. You didn't look for all that heathenism that was going on around you. But you came upon it. So he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So just keep that in mind that what he is speaking about here is a specific type of falling into tests and trials. It's not walking into them. It's not something that you did to bring that about. These are things that you were just going about your normal life and stuff happens. How many have been there? Just going through your normal life and stuff around you happens. You didn't see it beforehand. You didn't get a warning that it was coming. It's just one of those things that bam, here it is. And he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now the, the word there for various, it means various in character or variegated. I saw this note in one of my, um, one of my sources that I use, but they didn't give any explanation for it, so I kind of had to give you my own. So just understand this is just kind of how I'm trying to piece this together, but it, the note was the root of the first syllable is pick, which we get picture from. The root of the first syllable of this word is pick, which we get our word picture from. So all I could take from that is, as far as various is concerned, when you say picture, that does not describe what the content of the photograph is. Picture could be anything. It could be a scenery. It could be underwater. It could be a picture of a car, a person, family, a house, trees, mountains, Stars. It can be a picture of anything. A picture can be anything at all. There is no limit to the variety of things that could be in the picture. Just because we use that word, oh, they took a picture. Oh, what of? Because that word doesn't describe it to me. So that's about the the best I could see. Why they made that a point, because I couldn't figure it out. They didn't give any explanation. I gave This is exactly how it said. The root of the first syllable is pick, which we get picture from. So figure that out. So that's my explanation for it. That's about the best I can come up with. But my brother encountered all joy. Now this word for joy means pure joy, free of bitterness, gladness, delight, enjoyable. Some of the places where we will see this used, and there's a number of places that you can find this, but in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Now what's interesting is, that the Greek has a word for exceeding great joy, but they didn't use that one here. They described the joy by saying exceeding great joy. In Matthew 13, 20, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Parable of the sower. He who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. You've seen people, they hear something from the, the word of God, they get all excited about it, but a week later it's gone. Luke 2 and verse 10, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Luke 10, 17, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And they were they were rejoicing about that. Acts 12, 14, When she recognized Peter's voice, you remember when Peter was in prison, they had the all-night prayer session. And then all of a sudden, Peter gets let out of prison by the angel. And he comes over to the house, he knocks on the door. She answers the door and she recognized Peter's voice voice because of her gladness. That's the word there for joy. She did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. So that uh, that particular joy caused her to have a reaction that wasn't, uh, instead of opening the door like you should, she probably should have done, she did something else. Now, the word here for trials test as some places put it. It means, and I, I looked hard to try and find a definition for you that at least gave you something. Because a lot of times it just says test or trials. Most definitions I've found, test or trials. But here, a putting to proof. That's not my definition. That's one that I, I copied. A putting to proof. 
It is used of Jesus being tempted of the devil. The disciples, when Jesus says, pray that you don't enter into temptation. In the parable of the sower, that in time of temptation, they would fall away. This word is talking about being tested to see what you're made of. Now, God is not doing the testing to see what you're made of. Just as God didn't do the testing for Jesus to see what he was made of. He was tempted by the devil. The devil wanted to see what he was made of. And we were going to see. The disciples, they were going to be tested. That time of testing was coming. We're going to see what they're made of. Apparently, they weren't made of as good stuff as Jesus was. Because they fell. The people who uh, heard the word and got excited about it, but in time of temptation, fell away. Because they had no roots. It was tested. And it didn't, uh, it didn't stand up to that, to that test. Now, when I, God will teach you principles from the word in a way that you can grab it. He's going to use things in your life that you are already familiar with in order to teach you concepts of the word. So this is a lot of times what the spirit of God will do. He will take what is in the word and he will relate it to something that you have learned in the past or are learning now. And he brings it into the natural that way so that I can understand it. I can assimilate those things. And the way that I learned this, I've shared with this with you sometime in the past. Uh, um, but this, this is where I learned it from. I don't, this, this is where I learned it the best. And this happened in, uh, up at uh, the King's College. And I was on the cross country team. And we had a, a number of routes that they would, they would begin to run over there. And I didn't know what this route, particular route was. But this is where I learned the concept of this verse. We had a particular route that we just referred to as Long Hill. It was for the road called Long Hill East, Long Hill West. Now digging into this, I decided I'm going to go back up there and see this road because I haven't seen this road in a long time. And Google is of such that you can not only see where it goes, but you can follow it along now. So I actually went virtually <laughs> through the whole road just looking at it. And I'm, I'm amazed I've forgotten most of that road. I'm looking at this as, boy, I've gone up and down that thing a number of times. And the only thing I remember of this road, of all the times that we ever rode it, was coming off of the main road. And I saw on the map where that was, making a hard turn. And every time I would make that turn, I would remark to myself, this hill was so steep that if the cars did not slow down, the bumper would hit. It was that steep. This is Long Hill East, Long Hill West. And it was, our college was on a mountain. If you ever go up on the Tappan Zee Bridge, and if you are, are heading towards, uh, north on that direction, you will notice on the northeast, and, uh, trying to think of, yeah, I guess it'd be the, the northeast corner, as you're looking off the road, you're gonna see a, a large mountain. At the top of that mountain was our school. And so, no matter what, we were at the top. So when you went somewhere, you went downhill. But you came back. So you came back uphill. But we're not talking hilly. We're talking mountain. So you're going down and then coming back up. And so you encountered some great hills on this. And this was one of them. And um, it was tough. The first time I ran it, I said, I did not know hills could be this incredibly difficult. It was a very difficult course to run. And so... After I ran it the first time, what he, when the coach would say, we're running Long Hill uh, today, there would be inside of me a grieving. <laughs> Just a grieving. They're going, oh, man, I don't know if I'm ready for Long Hill. Because it was a, a longer route than we would normally run. We would sometimes only run between 8, 10 miles a day. But this one was about a 12-mile route that we would do. And it had substantial hills. They were substantial and so that's why it was named when we wanted to do hills, when he went, well, when he wanted us to do hills, he would send us out here and Long Hill was one of them. And, um, going down memory lane, I ended up, uh, finding pictures of the college in the disrepair and, and then I saw pictures of the fire that, uh, uh burned it when it was deserted. No one, uh, wanted it. And if I, uh, look up on, um, Google, I don't know if this is the case, but now on Google it has it all labeled as that, uh, as a, a Trump golf course. So I don't know if that's actually the case because I couldn't find any place in all the history and all the, the news articles that were written about it that uh, anything like that was, was actually built. All I could find was they were making some kind of a residence home 
on the, at the place. So I don't know what it is. I haven't been up there in a long time. But I did hear from one of my old roommates that the place had burned down, that they're being set, uh, slated for demolition. And um, But anyway, went through all that. Even went through the old cemetery. We used to go through, uh, everybody remember Sleepy Hollow? Yeah, that's up that way. So we used to run through Sleepy Hollow Cemetery every Halloween night at night. We would run down Sleepy Hollow Road to the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery and run through the old cemetery and then run through the new cemetery. There's two parts to it. There's the old part that looks like the legend and then the new part that is very modern. And so we would wait till nighttime and then on Halloween night and then we would uh, run down there on, on all that. We had the greatest time. It was a <laughs> that, was our, that was our adventure. But this is where I learned this verse. Because I found out that as long as I had that attitude on the inside of me, oh, we got to do this today. That I didn't get that much benefit from it. What I had to do was change my attitude. And so I began to work to change my attitude on it because I realized that this was having benefit. The more that we ran this, the easier it would become to do a faster pace. We never made it easy. If we ever ran one of these routes and we came back and said that was easy, he'd probably send us back out to do it again. You never came back from a route and said it was easy. Uh, you always had to make sure that you ran it at a, at a pace that uh, really uh, it bothered you. I'll <laughs> just put it that way. You, you weren't too happy when you were, when you were um, finished all, all that. But this is where I would learn this. I had to change my attitude. And so I began to take on things like hills. All right, I've got to change my attitude to make it so that I count it all joy that well, we get to do hills today. And then I expanded that to, we get to do intervals today. Probably most of you don't know what intervals are, but intervals are a, a uh, uh, I think it came right out of the uh, German or Russian, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, interrogation camps. I mean, they were nasty. They were, you want, you want to experience some pain, do some intervals. They really bothered you. So we had to, I had to get myself then to count it all joy when it was interval day and count it all joy when it was hill day and count it all joy when it was long distance day. And no matter what it was, I had to develop count it all joy. This is why I learned this verse here. I developed that attitude so much that no matter what came, I was going to count it all joy. This is my, why I have the attitude I have about weather because I learned it from this. Learn to count it all joy when it's a blizzard outside. And you get to go out and run. Learn to count it all joy when there's ice. Learn to count it all joy when it's sub-zero weather. Learn to count it all joy when it's 105 degrees. And you're going to go out and run. And so no matter what it was that came up, I learned how to count it all joy. Not just, well, all right, we're going to be glad about this. No, get excited that this was going to happen. Get excited that we get to do hills. I got myself so much into that frame of mind that it was going to be hill day. When uh, we would go different places, I would look for hills. I looked for them. And when I find them, I, there would just be inside of me. I didn't drum this up. I didn't find just all of a sudden, oh, I can't wait to get out here and run this. Now you say that sounds sick to most people. <laughs> That's, that sounds absolutely horrendous. But I remember one time we went together, went to, um, there was a church uh, I was serving in, and they took all the leadership out to this particular place. And as we were going around, I found a hill. It was a nasty hill by most people's determination. And I wasn't there for an hour. And I was already strapped on all my running stuff, and I was out on the hill, running up the hill. As I was running up the hill, some of the other leaders were there, and they were just out for a leisurely walk, and they saw me running up the hill. I didn't see them because I was looking down. I was concentrating on everything, making sure I was getting up the, the hill right, keeping all the stuff right. But I was glad. I was excited. Here we go. I, I learned this verse by doing those things. This is how he taught it to me. So when he says count it all joy, it doesn't mean that you put on a fake smile and say, oh, we're going to be glad. Oh, we're going to say all the right things. It is a change on the inside to where when you see this thing coming, you actually say, I can be made a better person by going through this. I am excited that I get to go through this. See, I, could, I learned that I could become a better runner if I went through and did all these other things. And so I would begin to 
to look into to do these these particular things in that way. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You didn't walk into them. You didn't do anything to bring anything on. But all of a sudden, here's this trial. Whether for them, their various trials may have been, may have been the, um, the persecution that came upon them. It may have been the financial woes that came because of trying to get their job going in the, those areas. It may have been the heathenism that was going on around them and how difficult that would have been for people that didn't have that going on in the streets before. Whatever it was, whatever these things had, had gone on, he says, I know you're encountering all different kinds of trials. The type of trial is not the focus. What is, is your attitude. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. People sometimes think that just because I've gone through trials, I have encountered something that will make me better as a Christian. And that's false. You can go through all the trials that you want to. And it won't necessarily make you any better. I, as a runner, could go through all the hills I'd want to. If I did not hit the hills in the right way, with the right attitude, going at it and just trying to get through it, that's not going to bring benefit. I had to attack the hills. We had to go up those hills hard. You had to get to the point that you were, everything in your body was screaming by the time you got through. And the more, the more it was hurting, the gladder I got. But I had to learn how to do it. You've got to learn how to do this in your Christian walk because if you don't, what he's writing about here will not have the benefit that he says. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, the only thing wrong with that example is we didn't fall into hills. We intentionally went after them. <laughs> but you see, you, I still learned that concept. I learned that, that idea. And so I had to do the same thing with my Christian walk. Once God taught me the concept, now he's able to take that and transfer it over. Now do this in your, in your Christian walk. Do this in your, in what you do for, for him. And it would have an effect. He then goes knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The word here for knowing is the Greek word gnosko, to know by experience. The more that you go through this, the more you will know. I, people could tell me, Steve, you'll be made a better runner if you do hills. But that's not going to be enough. I had to have some kind of experience to find out that, you know what, the more I'm doing these, the, uh, the better I'm becoming. So knowing, to know by experience, knowing that the testing of your faith, the word there for testing, this is from a group of words used in classical Greek to describe the refining process of metals. And so what you would do when you refine a, a metal is that you would stick that metal into the fire and you'd heat it up and the impurities would begin to come out and then you bring it back out again and then you put it back in and then you bring it back out and you put it back in. It's constantly going in and out of the fire, in and out of the fire. You didn't just put it in there and burn the thing up. You put it in there and then you brought it out and then you put it in there and you brought it out and you put it in there and you brought it out. So he's saying this, these various trials that you're going through, this is just like how metal is being refined. How metal is made stronger. How metal is made more pure. Because depending upon what you want to do, sometimes you want to purify the metal and sometimes you want to make the metal stronger. Depends on what you're, you're accomplishing. But you're going to accomplish it the same way. There's a refining process that goes on. He then says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The word there for producing means to accomplish, achieve, bring about, work out, or the, it will result in. This word is used 24 times in the New Testament. 21 by Paul. It always carries the idea of doing something, but with the emphasis on the end result of the action instead of the actual act or work itself. Every time this word is used, it always involves doing something. There's always something that the person is doing. But the emphasis is not on what they are doing it's on the end result of what they are doing will bring. It's what it will result in. So he says again, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. What he's doing here is he's giving you the reason for why you count it joy. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The word there for patience is a great word. Hupo. 
hupomone. It is a compound word, hupo, to be under something heavy. Hupo means to be under something heavy. Meno means to stay or abide. To stay or abide. One who despite great pressure, this is the combination of it here, one who despite great pressure does not move from the spot achieved, given, or assigned. One who despite great pressure does not move from the spot achieved, given, or assigned. This is often used as a military word. You would be told to hold a position. That position had been gained by the, the armed forces, the army, whoever it was that came. They had gained that position and you or by yourself or with the group were to hold that position. Whenever I read that, I think of my, uh, uh, wartime history days and there's, there's probably a thousand battles that you could refer to, but the one that I always seem to come to is the one over in Gettysburg. And the one over in Gettysburg, there was a particular flank uh, I believe on the, if I'm thinking of the right, the, uh, the Union side, it was the left side of the, of the, uh, forces. There were three, uh, particular areas of the forces. There was the left side, the center, and the, and the right side. They had divided into three, but they had assigned this, this, uh, commander, do not let them flank you on the left side. And so he had this particular one to do. And so they did everything that they had, could to do, and I'm not sure if they ran out of ammo or if uh, what, what it was, but what he did was he called for a charge, a bayonet charge. And so they charged the the Confederate army with the with the bayonets, and they held that side from being flanked. And someone was uh, watching from the from a long range and saw that and said, "Boy, that was the the guttiest thing he had ever seen up, up till that one." And uh, they had preserved that side; they didn't let them. They lost a lot of men. But they did not let that side be uh, uh, be breached, and that preserved the rest of it. Because if they had, could have gotten around that left side, they would have been able to make the rest of it vulnerable, and uh, the battle would not have turned out the same way that it had. Hopefully, I'm remembering that battle, the details of it right. But <laughs> they ran out of ammo. Yeah, uh, it was. I knew it was, it was something with all that. But what a what a testimony it was. They said. Don't let this happen. And they didn't. They didn't let it happen. We had gained some areas. We cannot lose them. So, I wrote it down in, in this type of way. That um, one who despite great pressure does not move from a spot achieved, given, or assigned. There may be things that God gave you. There may be things that God assigned to you. There may be something that has been achieved in the spiritual realm in your life. And despite great pressure, you will not move off of that spot. This word here for patience means, uh, I'll give you some other places. Luke chapter 8 verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. They bear fruit with staying in the place they're supposed to despite great pressure to move. If you want to have that kind of production, then you need to have that type of of patience. You need to have that type of endurance. You need to have hupomene. Romans chapter 2 verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance. You got to stay in the place God told you. You got to hang on to the truth that God told you. Just because situations change doesn't mean that you change. In chapter 5 of Romans, verse 3, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Knowing that tribulations produces. God doesn't necessarily want us to go through the tribulations, but He knows 
that when we go through them, they will produce something positive in our life. If I go through them the way that I'm supposed to go through them. If I do what he has instructed us to do. In uh, Romans 8 verse 25, But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. If we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I have my hope set that this that God has promised is coming. And though I don't see it, I'm not moving my expectation. I'm staying right here. I'm looking. I know it's coming. And I'm not moving off that. This is what he's talking about here. So it's not just an enduring, but a staying in a certain condition while enduring. There's a lot of people who think that if I just endure the trial, if I just endure the, the temptation, if I just stay there and endure it, it will have an effect on me. It will not. You have to endure it with the things that the Word of God says you must do. So that means intense pressure comes down upon me. God says that's, the, that's what comes with this type of stuff. But don't worry. Stay there. Don't move. Don't move off of it. But some people, pressure comes on. They're believing God for a particular thing. They got word that Jesus is the healer. God spoke to them some things, revealed some truth to them. And so they said, I'm going to take this condition and I'm going to stand on the word. And then the pressure got turned up. The pain level increased. The, the condition got worse. Whatever it might be. But the pressure turned up. And the thought comes, why don't you just leave this stand? Why don't you just get off of this? But we don't. We stay with it. And we, we keep going. That's what he wants you to do. He goes on here, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. This is why we count it all joy. Because I know that when this stuff comes and tests my faith, it produces something in my life. And what it produces is good. I want what it produces. I want that. But in order for me to get that, this is what I have to go through. This is what I need to do. But I need to go through it with a certain attitude. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now look how this is worded. But let patience have its perfect work. Now that's a command to me. That's telling me I need to let patience have its perfect work, which means if I let this thing alone, it is going to produce something good in me. But if I get in the way and stop it, it won't. Now, how am I going to get in the way and stop it? By moving? By moving off of what God told me to do? By letting it go? Don't do it. And you see, if you count it as joy, it changes you. That's why I said this is where God taught me how to how to understand this. It was over those hills. Running them hills. I didn't learn it right off the bat. It took me a little while before God even showed me that I could learn it from that. But I found out that the more I was out there in the hills and I got joyful about being out there in the hills. Oh, it, it, it changed the way that I went up the hill. I went up the hill far more aggressively. I went up the hill uh, with more speed, more gusto. And the more speed, more gusto you go up the hill, the more you're getting out of that hill. If you just barely, you know, clog along and almost walking up that hill, it's not going to have that much benefit for you. You got to charge up that hill. You got to go up that hill. Everything in your body is telling you, you can't keep going up that hill. But everything, I, I learned how, no, I'm being glad. And I was joyful. In fact, I'm even smiling while I'm going up there in that hill. This is, this is good. I, I, I like this. To this day, I still run hills. In fact, uh, John and I, sometimes we talk about running the, the neighborhood, and I don't like to run my neighborhood because my neighborhood's flat. We, I want to go out into his neighborhood. His neighborhood has some hills. And so uh, we go out to, to that one. Then there's a couple of them, and he, he found me running. He says, you run up that hill on your own? I said, oh, yeah. He says, I have a couple of buddies, and I tried to take them on that hill, and they wouldn't go. <laughs> they wouldn't go on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I run that all the time. But you see, I had to learn it. And once you learn it, you don't. it seems like you don't unlearn it. You keep wanting to go after it. You keep wanting to, to do it. This is when you learn this in the Spirit, 
when you learn how to count it all joy when you encounter various trials, the devil gets mad because he can't get you discouraged anymore. Well, usually they get discouraged when I throw this stuff at them. Usually they quit doing the things that they're supposed to do. And that seed that they had of the Word doesn't grow anymore. It dies off. But this one is not doing that. And this is where we see that being used in the verses that we, we saw. The good soil that produced, they had this patience going on. The bad soil that, that uh, didn't produce for one reason or another, they gave up on this. They had joy for a little bit, but it went away. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. If the faith is is tested, it will produce patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is one of those ways that the devil just corrupts teaching. He takes stuff right out of the Word and just corrupts it. How many times you, have you ever heard people talk about this? Well, I'm going through all kinds of tests and trials. I guess I shouldn't have prayed for patience. I prayed for patience and now it just seems like everything is falling apart. And that's garbage. Just going through your normal Christian walk should attract the tests and trials because the enemy wants to try and smother your faith. Not because you prayed for some some patience. Now you're just looking at everything that's going on around. You're becoming aware of it. You you got your some people that get their expectation up that way. But let patience have its perfect work. It's up to me. I can get in its way. Don't get in its way. Let patience have its perfect work. The word there for perfect means complete, whole, mature, full-grown. Complete, whole, mature, or full-grown. That's it. It's going to have it's it's going to have a mature work. It's going to come to a place of fruition. The word there for work means work, toil, or labor. Let it have it. It's working. Let it have the toil, the labor that is doing. That, let your patience have its perfect work. That patience that you have on the inside is accomplishing a work. There is a labor that it is doing. Don't get in its way. Don't get in its way by removing yourself from that or having a wrong attitude. If you don't have the attitude that he started with, count it all joy, then this is not going to help you. He's, he's envisioning his church that is out there in all different places in the empire, encountering all kinds of different trials and tests and things that are coming against them. And he's seeing this and he's, he's seeing that they're becoming discouraged. They're becoming down. They're thinking it's not worth continuing on. I'm just going to try and hide out in the corner. Maybe they'll leave me alone. He sees this kind of stuff going on. He says, no, 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 don't get out there. Like that, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you encounter these these things. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The word there for lack means to be in need or want of. It carries the idea of being inferior. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There will be nothing for which you are inferior for. You will be ready. But you've got to let it have this, this kind of a perfect work. This is why, going back to my example, this is where God taught me this stuff. Going back to the, the cross country, this is why they, we, they would have you do certain things. This is why sometimes the things that we would run on to practice were not the nicest courses. They were muddy. They were rocky. You came out there a mess. This is why we would sometimes uh, engage in training when the weather wasn't so nice. Track people don't do that. Track people wait for the weather to be nice to go out in the track. And then when they go out in the track and they run, it's never muddy. Sometimes it might be wet, but it's never muddy because they're track people. Cross-country people, we don't run on tracks. We run on, on, uh, I've, I've run on dried up creek beds. <laughs> dried up creek beds. Rocks all over the place. I looked at that and said, man, people are gonna get, get themselves hurt. But you see, when you would, you, you would do that, you would get muddy. 
you would climb up hills that you would need your hands to get you up. You encounter cold. You encounter being wet and still having to, to uh, operate. A certain, you, when you encountered all this in, in training, then when you got there for the race, you were ready for it. You were ready. You had a different mindset. It didn't take, it, I didn't pick up that mindset just because I went out for the team. It took me a while to develop that mindset. You've got to have this mindset with your Christian walk. Well, I don't mind doing anything for God wants, but not when it's raining. And I mean spiritually raining. I don't mind doing whatever God wants me to do, but not when I'm hungry. Not when, when things aren't going quite as well. Not when I don't have quite the, the people around me that I want to have. You can find all kinds of reasons, whatever it might be. But when you learn how to count it all joy, no matter what kind of situation you fall into, this is what you need to have. That's what you need to be. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Again, the word here for for lacking, Luke 18, 22. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. This man knew he was missing something. He didn't know what it was. He said, you still lack one thing. And so then he told us some things. Titus 1, 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. There are times in your spiritual life that things can be lacking. And you may know that they're lacking. You may not know that they're lacking. But when you are lacking something, you cannot accomplish what you want to do. If you like to do stuff in the kitchen, and if you, I know especially for baking, in baking you can't substitute stuff as much as you can in cooking. Cooking, if you don't have this, you can go substitute something else. But when you're baking, <laughs> if it calls for, for I, I remember one time I heard a story. I don't even remember who told it to me. But uh, they had a recipe and it called for baking powder and they used baking soda. <laughs> it did not produce the same thing. <laughs> it sounded close. <laughs> it might even look a little bit alike. But you can't just make that substitute. It's, that's not going to work. Now, there is some things you can substitute in baking. They'll give you a little a little deal. I think uh, if you don't have butter, you can use oil. or you, It's not quite going to be as good. You're going to be, be lacking a little bit in the taste department. But there are some things that you can, you can, you can do. But when you're cooking something, if you don't have, well, that's alright, we can just throw this in. And you'll be alright. But in the spiritual world, there's some things that we need. There's some ingredients that we need. And sometimes we're lacking. And what he's t- teaching you here is, we're gonna show you how you won't be lacking anything. Cause the devil's always trying to tell you, you don't have something that you need. The reason that the battle is this hard, is because you don't have something that you need. And you can't get the thing that you don't have. So you might as well just give up. And you can't get there. But what he's telling you is, I don't care where you are. You're not in Jerusalem anymore. You're way out there. And you're encountering all kinds of various trials. And those trials seem like they are bigger than you. But I'm telling you, this is how you do it. Count it. All joy when you encounter these various trials. Count it all joy. That's the mentality you have to have. You have to be joyful when they are coming upon you. Because it will change the way that you attack it. It will change what happens on the inside. Because if you will have the joy, if you will maintain the joy on the inside, the patience that is produced will have a work inside of you. But not if you don't maintain the joy. I looked up uh, Rick Renner's rendering of verse 4, and he put it this way. But let patience have its perfect work. I'm talking about the kind of attitude that hangs in there, never giving up, refusing to surrender to obstacles, and turning down every opportunity to quit. I think I missed uh, one of your blanks here, but it would seem the work would be done if we just keep doing or staying. The enemy is going to try and get you to stop doing what you're doing and stop staying where you're staying. Stop holding on to the scriptures that you're holding on to. 
Because it would seem the work would be done if we just kept doing or staying. And he does, he does not want that perfect work to be done in you. Because if that perfect work is done in you, he's losing the battle. He's got to get that, he's got to get that out of you. The enemy of our faith would want to get you to stop, move, or change. He doesn't care which one. Either way, he's going to get you to be, be quitting on what you have to be doing. And you're not going to fulfill that part of the verse that he said, but let patience have its perfect work. I won't let patience have its perfect work because I stop, I move, or I change. I put this in your, the ending part here. It's not enough to just go through trials, nor to merely finish. But we need to maintain an attitude of gladness and joy in it. And remember that word joy means no bitterness. This is what the enemy tries to do. He tries to get you to become bitter. Why has God allowed this to happen to you? Why has God not stood in the way of this occurring? Does God not care? Does God not love you? He wants to stir up some bitterness because if he can stir up some bitterness, he kills this joy because this joy does not have bitterness in it. This joy is your key. I've got to have that attitude. I've got to maintain that attitude that says no matter what it is that I face out there, I am going to be joyful. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is the work it can do. You have the ability in you right now to be completely made ready for whatever it is that the devil wants to throw your way. And every test and every trial that he tries to get you into, every single one, will make you stronger. Will cause you to be more equipped than you were before. And eventually he's going to get discouraged. Because the more he throws at you, the stronger you get. See, Jesus resisted the temptation. And every time he resisted the temptation and stayed on the joyful side, counted it all joy, every time he did that, he kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Eventually the devil went away. See if we can come back at a better time. Eventually, the devil does go away. He may come back again another time, but it doesn't keep staying because you keep getting stronger. Eventually he says, i got to stop making you stronger. We'll go away. We'll come back in a little while and see if I can get you to stop being with that joyful attitude. That's what he's looking to try and do. Don't let him do it. Count it all joy. Have that, have that inward attitude that says, I am going to count this in the column of joy. The devil wants you to get you to move it over to the column of bitterness and anger and what was me. But don't do it. When trials and tests come upon you, just stay, stay happy. Stay glad. I, I think of the poster person for this. I think if I'm going to think of any minister out there that I know of that I hear on a regular basis, my poster child for this is Jesse Duplantis. I mean, he just, it doesn't seem like whatever happens to him, he just is glad. He's telling the story. He's smiling the whole time. He's telling the story where bad things happen. He's still smiling the whole time. He's just smiling, laughing. That's what he did. That's what he does. Count it all joy. Keep the joy. Keep your, your sights on that joy. Because it will have a tremendously positive effect upon you.
And he's going to be talking about other things about your faith. But this is the first thing he's talked about with your faith. Knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. He's got a lot more to say about faith. That's just his opening. But a good a good opening to have. And so important for us to maintain our attitude. If the devil can sour your attitude, he will sabotage your faith. Don't let him do it. Father, I thank you for the faith that you put on the inside. You have given us the ability to stay where you have told us to stay. To hang on to what we have learned to be true and to not let these things go. When tests and trials come and try and move us off of those things and we resist Counting the joy the whole time, not getting upset, angry, nasty. We stay in a joyful attitude and we don't move. We come out of it stronger. We come out of it more complete. Whatever lack we went into, there's less of it. And we keep going in that direction. There will be nothing that we lack. And I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Any comments? Anything I missed? Did I miss that one? B4. The reason for the joy is the end result produced. I don't think I did read that. The reason for the joy is the end result produced, not the being under the trial. The reason for the joy is the end result produced, not the being under the trial. I don't get joyful because I get to do hard stuff. I get joyful because that hard stuff is coming on, but I know what's on the other side. That's what produces the joy. God's not trying to get us to glory in the pain. He's trying to get our eyes to be set on what comes after the trial.